worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you let us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show then you're probably a nerd Oh Ken, it's Ken, it's all Welcome to the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk everything pop culture, the podcast where we talk everything geek, the podcast where we talk everything comics, books, movies. We talk about everything that's in your geek universe here on the It's Canon Podcast. And this week, I am joined by Tyler. You know what's surreal is I knew Boris wasn't here, and you starting the intro bit still threw me a little bit. I was still like, ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I'm your guest host this week. I'm Phil, and Boris is unfortunately not with us. He is uh, currently undergoing a plague of technical issues, which is frustrating for a tech person, I gotta I, say, I was, for anybody. But. I was gonna say, despite working in tech, Boris has the he is the second worst person I have ever met for just bad technology luck. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other know. one being friend of the podcast, worst block on tech I've ever seen is Ian, who was on the podcast ages ago as our one of our lawyer guests. <laughs> I I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the work from home. I, I, I know in my line of work, I have to work with people who are working from home. And the amount of issues that I've seen with a particular carrier that Boris is with uh, for the past month has been quite high here in Ontario. So I, I'm just going to say it like I, I think something's up infrastructure wise, but knock on wood, I'm with that other big carrier. And that one seems to be pretty good for me. And most of the people that I support who have it, I get the least amount of headache from it. But in this world, we all can't be on the same service and that's not good for everybody either. So, yeah. I feel for you, Boris. I hope you get your internet stuff sorted out soon. And when he does, that is when we are going to be coming at you with the It's Canon podcast, the one where we talk about the best and the worst of 2021. We have our categories, we have our picks, but I don't think the episode can go forward without that major pillar in Boris. So we will be delaying the episode up front to everybody. Probably going to be out next week. But uh, so we're going to give you an, a pretty quick update as far as some of the stuff that's going on in the geek universe this week. And uh, we'll, we'll go over that as, as, as we get into the show. But I guess I want to ask you, Tyler, how was your Christmas and New Year's? Uh, how did everything go for you? Because the last time we talked, we were pre-Christmas. We were pre-holidays. And now we're back. Yeah, it was it was all right. I mean, it's been it's been insanely productive. I um my I have reached the point where I have I have said no to clients for January. I'm full. Oh. And like as a freelancer, it's a weird position like I can't I cannot 
I had someone be like, hey, can you take more work for January? And I'm like, I can't. I cannot take more work for January. Wow. I'm 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 booking into like February, like March, April already as like this is the earliest you're getting me. Which, wow. which for a creative freelancer, that's what you want. Like that's what you yeah, want. That's, that's the dream right there. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I'm hoping for a lot of news to be coming down the pipe with that. But I had a nice Christmas gift, which was uh, a book I wrote in think i started it late 2017 finished it early 2018 and that's pre-edit like that's like pre-editing process came out on christmas eve surprising me and honestly almost everyone involved um uh yeah it it, i don't know any listeners backed or aware of it but it it went on kickstarter like way back in 2017 2018 and hit even pre-covid hit like every round of bad luck possible <laughs> like the the ceo of the company and it was like a very small publishing house basically the ceo who was doing 90 percent of the work had a brutal health scare which kicked everything back like nine months initially and then just like stuff kept piling up and then covid and then and then and then and then and then, and then. but we finally got all the licensing approval. We got everything approved, and the digital copy came out Christmas Eve. And wow! In true, absolutely perfect tradition. And for people who don't know, this always happens. Someone found an error within twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and like my partner works in publishing, and can attest, it doesn't matter. You can have thirty people look at a book. Everyone will miss the same silly mistake. This was literally one of the puzzles. One of the puzzles was um, transposed 90 degrees. So Mm. if if you could, you could still solve it, but (laughs) it was, it didn't read quite right. And you had to like, you had to kind of accidentally grok how to do it. So I, (laughs) I, I went and I reran how to do the puzzle because it was like a cryptograph. So I had to redo all the letters and stuff and make sure it was just turned 90 degrees. <laughs> um, and it wasn't. It was turned 90 degrees and had one typo in it. So I had to like fix that. Oh, but yeah. Then it went back to it got popped back to the layout guy. He was able to fix it. And I think it was 15 minutes and we pushed the new edition. Should be already out. Oh, that's great. Which well, is why digital first always. Digital first if you're a small industry, because someone's going to find these errors, then you just go and fix them. Right. Um, but yeah, that's the big news for me. And, and if yeah. people are looking for this book, what is it called? It is called The Wild Hunt, published by Stygian Fox. It is currently only available on DriveThruRPG. Um, because of various agreements and stuff we have, we go there first. Um... And then they're great people to work with, so it's a good call to go there first. I think it's eventually supposed to be, like, everywhere. Like, it's supposed to be on Amazon, and um, if your local game store stocks Call of Cthulhu stuff pretty regularly, there's a decent chance they will get it or can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we're distributions through IPR, which means it'll be orderable by almost everyone within the next three to four months. Hopefully, because if you want a print edition, I don't know. There's an international paper shortage. There's an international ink shortage. Who knows when that edition comes out? Well, 
just to give me an idea, I pre-ordered the uh, uh, Mandalorian season two concept art book. You'll see them behind me. I've got all the movies, yeah, and everything. The concept art, and um, or all the movies that I you know was able to collect them in this format, and all the shows. So uh, Phil Sozak comes on and he makes them and he works for Lucasfilm and he says, you know, sign up now. It comes out in December. It was, I think it was supposed to be December 18th. Yeah. And then the update came out. He made the announcement in early December. He said like, look, the books are stuck. They're not going to get out until February next year now. And I made sure that I told them like, thank you for letting us know. And yep. I'm willing to wait. Like, there's no grief from me, man. Like, shit happens. The world's crazy right now. Like, yeah. so, you know, I know everybody wants the perfect Christmas gift or the all this stuff. But you have to realize, yeah, these supply chains are messed up. As we all know, it's, it's endless on the news. I get it. It's no fun to hear it. But it's affecting everybody. It's affecting not only you as a consumer, but... Production people like Tyler and, and you know what I mean? Like creative industries, everything is really impacted by this. So it's really making me question how I consume things too. Right. Because yeah, it's like, eh, you go with digital. Now you go with, you know, you try to be adaptable in order to get what you want, but yeah, sometimes you want that paper book. (laughs) Oh, I get it. (laughs) And you just wait sometimes now. That's the biggest thing. Like everyone I've talked to who does it, it's just, Release dates are a little bit more flexible than they used to be. And that's just what life is sometimes. How about you? What was your holiday season like? Christmas, New Year's, anything else you celebrated? It was pretty quiet, to be honest. Um, As people know, there's Omicron going around. So it, it, it just kind of was like a voluntary lockdown for me. I just decided to be pretty low key. I only saw family members that I live with or have a really close proximity to. Um, and those interactions were brief. Uh, Christmas was modest. I have everything, as you can see. I've got all my helmets. I've got all my stuff. Like, There's not much that people can get me that's a legitimate surprise. I think my brother got me a, um, a staff shirt from a, a Lucasfilm production. Oh, very cool. So that's kind of like the the surprise gift that I was just mm-hmm. like, wow, okay. Um, that's definitely pretty cool. And then I ended up, you know what, just buying stuff that I wanted to buy and waiting for yeah. Boxing Day sales and whatnot. And I picked up the Mandalorian Lego set with the uh, Battlecruiser, mm-hmm. like the Imperial Battlecruiser. And I bought that because I love Star Destroyers. Lego Star Destroyers. So that fits that niche rather well for me. And I also ordered Boba Fett's spaceship just to get the Boba Fett minifig because Mm -hmm. I got all hyped about watching Boba Fett. And I also picked up my birthday last year, remember? For my birthday slash Christmassy gift, I bought the Darth Revan lightsaber. Yes. And then this year I decided to continue that. And pick up the Force FX Darksaber. Nice. So it's just so different. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed our coverage of Mandalorian Season 2 so much last year. 
that I was just like, you know what? This is a pure indulgence thing, but I'm going to grab it. I'm, I'm going to get it. And that was a bit harrowing because I decided that I wanted it right before Christmas, the absolute worst time. And they Fair. had one at my local Toys R Us, which was part of the reason why I bought it. I was just like, well, yeah, pick it up in store. So I drove over there on the Thursday before Christmas Eve day, the 23rd, to pick it up. And right before I head over, I get the email that the order has been canceled. Ah! And I'm like, holy crap. Like, And this is, I, I got to say to Toys R Us, the feedback that I would give them is this. That was the most apologetic cancellation I've ever seen that it freaked me out. Like hmm. it read kind of like this. It was my, my recollection of going through the major hit points on it was like, we're really sorry that we've canceled your order. We understand you were looking forward to having this product. And we are deeply concerned about why we don't have this product to give to you. And all like it was just like really down on themselves. Like we know we're the problem. It's not you. It's us. We and fucked like, up, bud. Yeah. And I'm like, did my payment decline or something? Like what? What? You know what is the subtext of all of this? Where mm -hmm. there's so much blame going on them. So I'm like, obviously, like maybe I input numbers wrong or whatever, right? Like because I'm like, there's there's got to be something. I I just don't understand. And this is a significant purchase. Like these things are not cheap. Yeah. So they, they've been they, If the cost of living's going up where you are, the cost of lightsabers is freaking out of control. Is so, it? oh, it, it like last year, like before you used to be able to buy these force effects lightsabers with a fixed blade. All right. They don't have all the features, a shit stand and a fixed blade. So a plastic acrylic stand and a bl non-detachable blade. Okay. And they were going for about, 180 for Kylo Ren's lightsaber. And that's a big boy. That's that's one that's got the cross hilt in it. So it's heavy. It's it takes four or three triple A or double A batteries. The thing is made out of metal. It's a it's a heavy boy. And I thought, well, that's fair. Then last year's Darth Revan was about $350. Okay. But it's got a detachable blade and a, and a detachable kyber crystal. So I'm like, those are pretty cool features. And the kyber crystal lights up. So it's got its own battery situation inside and things like that. So I'm like, okay, there's justification here. But this year, the Darksaber is $399. So it's gone up another like 50 bucks. So anyhow, they're getting they're getting into like, holy shit, this is a, a purchase I need to think about territory. I know you can find it now for about 350, but it was looking like it was the hot toy, right? Yeah. But anyhow, so I, I went to Toys R Us and I walked around and, you know, despite everything in my mind saying, don't go into the mall, the COVID. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to pop in there, take a look around, see if I can find somebody. I finally found somebody and I said, hey, look, dude. I ordered the saber where, why? And he goes, I was actually the guy who had to turn down that order. I'm like, okay, what's the story? And he goes, it got stolen. <laughs> He's like, we all remember seeing it on the shelf. We all were oh. like every day we'd look at it and go, that's never going to move. Blah, 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 blah. It's yeah. too expensive. Everything like that. Yeah. Goes, Trinkage hits. Yeah. 
it's gone. He's just like, I'm my manager's gonna be so mad. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I went to the car and ordered it from Best Buy. <laughs> Fair. I mean, what it, else went you from, do? It, it, it went from it'll be delivered this uh uh January 6th down to December 28th. But it came in like a couple days ago because it got stuck out west. It for some reason it was in Vancouver. So I'm like, all right. I'm not going to, you know, just be patient. That's cool. Yeah, it's going through Vancouver. Yeah, it got stuck in Alberta with that cold snap. So, yeah, I'm like, all right. Yeah, so that that was kind of like the fun adventure of just picking up the oddities for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of video game and a lot of I'm watching The Expanse. Yeah. Season six. Yeah. And that's getting intense, but I feel so sad because it's going to be over next week. Yeah, and... I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I got all kinds of feelings about the big finale to the books, so I don't even know. It's got to be weird. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I just finished buying the ninth book on Audible with my credit. Yeah. All that so... Audible narrator for those books is so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. I got through two or three of them pre-pandemic, and then I decided that. I understood the complexities of the books compared to the show. You got differences and and I appreciate them. I appreciate the crap out of them, but I was getting really confused because events in the books were being remembered. You know what I mean? Like I'm remembering things from the show that I'm further ahead in. So I I needed to to just be like, all right, I just got to let the show do its thing. Mm -hmm. Take a break and then go back and get into the books and appreciate it all for what it is again. But I mean, like, like Bobby Draper, I don't think it's, it isn't in the first book at all. And I don't think yeah. Avasarla is. No, Avasarla. she isn't in the first yeah, they book. They don't come no. until book two. Yeah. So when they're all of a sudden in season one and then, like, yeah, it's, it's a big shift. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. It's a complex story. Like I, I tell all my friends who are sci-fi fans, who aren't into the expanse. I'm like, first of all, I get upset. Like, how could you tell me you're not into the expanse? But then I say, you know, where, where did you tried it? Yes. Where did you stop? Oh, somewhere in the first season. Just get through the first season. Uh, that Once first you... season is rough. The budget yeah. is very low. Yeah. I, there's, uh, it's not the fastest story. It's, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot of concentration on Miller. And and everything that gets it gets really confusing for an audience member. Yeah. But once it gets on its horse at the end of season one, even mm-hmm. it starts to get on that horse and you start to yeah. get like really into the yeah. proto molecule and everything. And you're just like, oh, OK, this is really cool. And just you, you start to understand how space works for for this show and for, you know, more yeah. so like real life type thing. Yeah. So I'm like, you start to get your brain around the fact that this isn't Star Wars. This mm-hmm. isn't Star Trek. Yeah. This isn't, you know, a, 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 a sci-fi fantasy. This is a sci-fi story. Once you do the protomolecule stuff, and then the things that riff on that later in the books, for sure, I, I, I stopped in the show. Um, literally, it was a matter of like, I've read this story already. I don't need to read it again. I have too many good things to watch. Right. Um, it's all like in the realms of theoretical physics. 
Right. For the most part. And then it gets very, like, book nine starts being like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I gotta say, I'm looking forward to it, uh, but it, 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 it's, it, it's such a great show, but it always intimidates me a little bit. And then I remember that I have to trust each season is going to pull it together. Yeah. Like, Cause they go in these corners of things and I go, what the hell is going on? And then it just gets pulled out and I go, Oh, this has been a really competent story. It's just the same as bringing Avasarla in, in, Season one of the show, the book is different, obviously, but you start to see the layering and the texture that they're doing, the density of the stories, everything in the show is condensing the books, right? And I'm like, holy cow, that is so not the move that most showrunners do. If anything, they water down the show. Yeah. And in this, they start like there's. There's literally characters that are happening. When I got to, I think, the third or fourth book, third book, I believe, I started seeing a character develop that's three different independent characters in the book. And it's combined yeah. as one character in the show. Yeah. And a I'm lot like, of calls are made. What? Like that? It's amazing, but it's confusing if you're doing it at the same time. 100%. And yeah, like, I just, I could never do it. So that's, yeah. So I yeah. no doubt. And I had a friend at work who's like right into the books. Yeah. And he's telling he's telling me this. And I'm like, are you shitting me? And then I see it in the books and I'm like, okay, I have to stop. Like yeah. it's ruining my enjoyment of the, the show. And I know I'm infinitely gonna like the book better, probably, because the book is different paced, but man. So I, I'm sad about that. I'm sad that season six is coming to an end, but I'm yeah. happy it's there. You know what I mean? It's that that double thing. You're like, ah. And yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's the I, show that I've been geeking. Yeah, I will say that the um the um the in the books, book 6 is I think the hardest to read. No. It's just, I don't know. To to me it's just like, oof. There's also like a bunch of time jumps that yeah. are like you don't realize. <laughs> um, I do want to thank you on our Christmas special. We talked about uh, Labyrinth. Yep. I want to thank you for not pointing out that I picked a musical. <laughs> is it a musical or is it an no, opera? It's 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 a movie that uses music to help it along. The narrative is yeah. not told through the music, so it's not a musical. But I was so waiting for one of you guys to point that out. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. So, yeah, I, I just that was something that stuck with me post episode over the holidays where I'm like, oh, I wish I wish we would have had a, a ham on that one. But oh, well, Um, I guess we're going to go. I'm just. I've only got one bit of box office news. I know Boris always likes to talk about the box office and it is an achievement. Bum, bum. Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movie. Was it? No way home. Uh, has hit number home 12 going eating potatoes. Number 12 all time at the box office. 
During a pandemic, no less. During a surge in the pandemic. Yeah. It's it's crazy to think about, but good for it. And I'm happy for our Sony and the MCU. Uh, we talked about it last episode and we got pretty spoilery. Yep. So, um, yeah, it definitely. I'm envious of you guys being able to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I guess the big thing for me is this week, like tomorrow, the Eternals hits Disney Plus. I thought it was later. Maybe it's the 12th. I think it's the 12th. Okay, tomorrow something's hitting. Yeah. I forget what now, but oh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is tomorrow for I think. So, yeah, I know, but you know what? Like this leads me into our next big noted discussion point. These nostalgic movies. Okay. I haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'll watch it because it's aimed at me. I don't think it is. Oh, well, you know what? You watch if you watch the trailers. Yep. I I actually had a buddy of mine reach out to me Mm -hmm. and he watched the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And he says that he now knows the feeling that I got when I watched the Force Awakens trailer with the Chewie were home. He's like, I can relate to you now. He's like, sure. I got that feeling watching the Ghostbusters Afterlife because of the original cast members having brief cameos in the trailer. The ones that have survived. So I I agree it's marketed that way. I mean, my takeaway is that if you dis uh, this sorry this the Ghostbusters Afterlife is just a capitulation to everyone who bitched about yeah, the Ghostbusters reboot. Which that reboot wasn't terrible. It was fine. It wasn't great, but no. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't as bad as people make it out to be. Well, I've watched I mean, it a couple times and I'm like, would I make these choices? No, but I didn't feel that it fell on itself too much either. There was a, there was a lot of preemptive hate about it being women. Yes, and that's what my takeaway was with that. Uh, like, yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of hatred of like, how dare all of the men be idiots? And it's like, have you seen a Ghostbusters movie? Yeah. The men are always all idiots. Like, that's it's Ghostbusters. Everyone's a fucking idiot. Yep. That's womanizing, you know? And, I mean, I, separately, I think, you know, I think Melissa McCarthy has is, is a very talented actor. I, I think she needs a good director because having seen her and stuff where she's like being directed by her husband who's not great as a director <laughs> it's bad and I, and I, I think that's what it is it's just like you know I, I think Melissa McCarthy is one of those actors who whether she's great or not depends 100% on the director she's with yep read the script then her investment in the character and there's a lot of stuff right like yep for a while there she was churning movies she was the name yep. right and yeah. it showed. It was just like, ah, she didn't do anything. In uh, maybe it is it is the director. You know, there were choices made there yep. that made it a bad movie. But I find that sometimes her best characters are the ones where she really has a smaller part or more focused scenes. Maybe you know. You're, I think she's like Will Ferrell, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think Will Ferrell, it's rough to have Will Ferrell as the main character of your movie. Not impossible, 
Yeah, but you gotta you gotta really but it's harder, right? Yeah. yeah. And part of it what well, is, you know, if, if you look at the what's it called? The America trilogy or whatever it's called. Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and Ring of Fire or whatever, the skating one. Okay. Those are it, it's an unofficial trilogy about America. Okay. Um, he's playing a like he's playing like an over the top character in all three. Right? He's not right. doing Will Ferrell. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe we're in the Ferrell verse here. The Ferrell verse sounds terrifying. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, don't like that. Oh, okay. So I want to talk about this. This is gonna yeah. be a major bullet on the on the show okay. points. Um let's I, I watched The Matrix, the new one, Resurrections. Yep. Me too. I I I told myself at the end of this, at the end of that movie, I need to watch it again. Sure. But I haven't summoned the willpower to watch it again. Yeah. So sure. I, I, I need some time with it. Yeah. But I was dying to talk to you in particular because I know that you're a big Matrix fan as I used to be mm -hmm. my take I'll, I'll say it I didn't hate it yeah but I found that it was so in itself it got confused yep I I mean I think on purpose <laughs> separately yeah. I mean you know the the scene early in the movie where they talk about Warner Brothers making them make a fourth game mm-hmm is literally what the negotiation was. It was, we're making a fourth Matrix movie, whether you are in it or not. So your choice is, like, get one hand on the wheel, or we're taking it from you entirely. And, you know, I, I think when you're in that position and you think the story's done, like, what do you do? Yeah. And I think that it being weird and cerebral and kind of fucky and, like out there is natural. And I mean, there's also a bunch of other parts, right? Like the reason Keanu Reeves doesn't have a single fight scene that isn't just him waving his arms is because he's too busy and he didn't have time to do any fight choreography. So it is had to like write around that. And a lot of that yeah. movie, I think is just like, we had to write around a bunch of problems we had. Yeah. Right? COVID and production and everything. COVID. Keanu doesn't have time to do fight choreography. Keanu has limited days on set. Hugo Weaving doesn't want to come back. Yeah. Yeah, he could... Just Lawrence Fishburne video. doesn't want to come back. Yeah, the whole... The whole thing with... With the video game, I, I thought was interesting... I thought it was really unfortunate about Neil Patrick Harris. So and I found that that was just a really difficult thing for him to be the bad guy. Oh, I, I, it, that was, it makes sense. It makes sense, but I just have a tough time taking that serious. So I have, I've sat on this and I have an idea for what I would have done for the fourth matrix movie. But it unfortunately requires you to have a fifth Matrix movie, and I don't know what to do for that yet. Yeah. But the fourth Matrix movie, like, basically the first 
third is the exact same. Mm. But instead of like just have it like the entire movie is just whether or not we get Neo out of the Matrix or whether or not any of the previous movies happened. Right. Have the right. entire thing like just no reject a bunch of it and just have have him like having increasingly weird encounters and having stuff happen like he gets in a big gunfight and then turns around and the gunfight's over and none of it happened right and like have it be that like the computers have gotten better at editing shit or did they and have so much of it be like no you had a mental breakdown this this is an unreliable narrator and i would end it with him waking up out of the matrix like him waking up in that tube again and like you know, doing like the thing that he pulls away out and he pulls up and just have him look out over the city or look out over whatever. And we don't get to see it. And just him go like him say, whoa, again. Yeah. And end it right there. Just black. Yeah, no. And then we'll work because they were hinting at that the whole time. Right. Yeah. Like that was the, the, the thing. And now when I watch the analysis stuff, yeah, I see a couple things about it. And I, I looked. Because I'm like, it, it just felt to me like they were just trying to undo the third movie in a way where everybody's criticism was the third movie should have taken more time in the Matrix. The coolest thing about the Matrix is being in the Matrix. So they literally took that kind of feedback and made this movie. OK, you wanted a movie that was more in the Matrix. How much more of the Matrix can you be uh, being a video game in the Matrix of the Matrix? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and now they're just sitting there ripping it apart like doing what we do yeah. to shows and going, Oh, you see, that's not Carrie Ann Moss in the opening scene. That's someone else. That's why she gets beaten. Oh, you see the code is slightly different here because the camera angle and oh, this poster yeah. is slightly different. So, you know, and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, yep. Like it's a treasure trove of, of Easter eggs. I actually and, know what movie five would be too. Okay. Movie five would be that it's just nested matrices the whole way down. Right. Right. It would be that movies two and three happened, but they were just on different levels of artificiality, which is why Neo was able to do various powers outside of the matrix. Right. Because it's just other. And it, 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 the, you end it with accepting that you will never know for certain if you are in the real world, because maybe there is no real world. And instead it's about finding peace and meaning in, in a deeper world, way. Yeah. And yeah. about that's a that's how you do it, right? You have a one where it's like you can talk to the machines and they find a modicum of peace. Not through this weird the talk because you gotta go back to the philosophical groundwork because that was always what made the yeah. Matrix awesome. Well, that's and and they got too much up their own butts with the architect in two. Um, well, especially because like I don't know, there's been a lot of critiques, including a lot that came out of Cracked, that were phenomenal. Of it, like, really? Do you think the architect is in charge of the Matrix, or do you think the Merovingian who's like has a sex club is actually in charge? Because why the fuck wouldn't he be in charge? Yeah, well, he's the rogue AI, right? Like, he's the guy who figured out how to beat the whole system. Yeah. So doesn't that denote that he's in fact the more intelligent, you know what I mean, sentient being? And the fact that he shows up in this movie, I thought was a quiet little bravo. <laughs> like, that was all right. Merv is back. 
Oh man, I had so much fun with the original three, and this one, I, I just felt it was a movie that wanted to make money and and what? and get eyeballs on it, and it did that. You know, I don't no know choice. that it made money, but they're they're they did the HBO thing, and I think it got eyeballs. Yeah, and you know, it's, Warner Brothers will not let you le- let an IP lie. Yeah. The funniest thing for me was actually when Neil was sitting at his desk at the beginning of the movie or Thomas Anderson, and he had all the Matrix toys, the McFarlane Matrix toys on his desk. Brilliant. I had all of those toys. I shit you not. I've got a Sentinel in my basement packed away. I've got that that one of Trinity falling, shooting the guns and the background Mm -hmm. that she mounts to and everything. I've got Neil like I'm just like. Oh my gosh, that was the funny, like, that was actually like me sitting there going, bravo. But that's like, what you should have done. That's what I'm saying, though, right? Is like, have it just go all out of like, no, no, we made, we made the Matrix movies and have him be like, what do you mean the movies? Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta watch it again. But I, I, I felt very conflicted watching that movie. There was I mean, points I, at which, I, Oh, I really hated the bit at the end. The Barney Stinson going on about the sheeple. That, and I know that that line is almost the end of the movie, but I had to pause the movie and yell for 20 minutes personally because I'm like, that was lazy fucking writing. That was the laziest write I've ever seen. And I wasn't sure because I saw the credits. I wasn't sure how much more actual movie there was. And I was really disappointed when I started back up and it went to curtain. Like, I'm like, you're literally going to end with the soliloquy at the end being about sheeple, like a word that we invented. Like I was just not happy. Tyler, not happy. I mean, I, I think part of it there, hundred percent, not defending this. I'm saying the part of it though has to be how much, the message of the Matrix, because the original one had a message. Yeah. Has been bastardized and stolen by people who are antithetical to what the yeah. creators were after. And I'm even saying death of the creator. Like the themes and ideas of the Matrix are not that obtuse. No. But there was there was always a spirit of damn the man. And you know what I mean? The rejecting yeah. reality and all that. And you're right. It's become a narrative in our lifetimes where people have vehicleized that to become something about politics and whatever else they've, you know, put in insert demon here. Right. Like insert controversial thing here. And I get that it relates back to the whole sheeple comments. And I know that it's a way of, you know, actuating that into like bringing the fourth wall into that. Yeah. But I just found it was a really lazy scapegoaty thing to do. Like it, it disappointed me in the cheapness of the line. I, I, I don't love it. Yeah. It, it just felt like that shouldn't be a word that's in the vocabulary of the guy who's in charge, who's the main bad guy. You know what I mean? Like the the best, the best way that I can think about this is, you know how excited I got when Hugo weaving in the first movie uses like when he's discussing discussing the human race with with Lawrence Fishburne there and he's like you're a virus 
You know, you, you, yeah. like, and he goes on and he was just so eloquent and he used you are a words. Disease. What's that? You are a disease. Of yeah, virus. you're a disease. You know what I mean? Like you could feel the venom and the spite and the hate and the justification from his point of view yep. and why he would think that. And it was so well articulated and displayed to us as the audience. And to me, they wanted to go after that same vein in this in this powerful closing. And they completely blew it up by using a, a cheap word like sheeple. You know what I mean? Like that, that was what bothered me. Like that was, it really left a bad taste in my mouth. Because I'm like, you had the opportunity to make new better. And you made it cheap. That's all. But I need to watch it again. I need yeah. to know now that, that that's in there and go, okay, let's take a look at this. Let's let's it's certainly I'm not gonna, you know, surprise anybody. It didn't make my best or worst list for <laughs> last year. That movie. I don't know if it does anybody's, honestly. Yeah. I we have good friends on this show and Chris uh Chris from the from the Wrestling Buddies podcast and he does critical reviews. Mm-hmm. And he saw the matrix a couple weeks ago. He flew to New York and watched it. And he was oddly silent after that. I was just like, yeah, I think I know why. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So that was pretty funny, but so that's the matrix rev, uh, uh, resurrection. I, I know they're all ours and I keep on getting our revolutions and the, 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 to reboot it i don't know the resurrection so they resurrected it that's our discussion on that i i i hope boris watched it because i'm sure i heard him yell a couple times and i'm only 50 kilometers away so that brings us to our closing spot this week on our ad hoc episode that brings us to ad hoc episode ad hoc episode I reject. I, I regret that. So sorry this happened. The the ad hoc episode picked up the sheeple and flew away. <laughs> so, well, we have we have our final final topic, our final show, the book of Boba Fett. You know that we all watched it. I wasn't sure how we're going to tackle this as a show right now. I was hoping that we do an episode an episode and talk about episode one and two at the same time because i've seen some critical mixed responses from the internet and yeah i'm gonna have a discussion with boris and tyler about this off air but i've got some ideas about how we discuss this show that is going to be a little bit different format but But are you saying the internet doesn't it gets mad at things and overreacts phil say it ain't so i have heard that i don't I I honestly have been staying away from most reactions. So I I've made no bones about this. My Twitter experience is not like most people's because I don't follow topics, I follow people. If people become toxic or just antagonistic, it's one thing to have a different opinion, it's another to be an asshole about it. If you become an asshole about it, I unfollow you. It's that simple. So my experience on Twitter is usually very good because most people subscribe to that same outlook where we can discuss things, but you know, you can have differences of opinion, but don't be an asshole about it. 
So I avoid a lot of the negativity that surrounds the Star Wars universe. So unless somebody actually puts together a coherent and informed idea about why they didn't like something, <laughs> I'm probably not going to see much about it. And you know what? I like the fanboys. I do. To me, Star Wars is like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's good. Okay, because I got more Star Wars than I had one day before that Star Wars came out. Right? So I feel like that's, even if it's bad, it's good. I may not have liked The Last Jedi. What is my most watched Star Wars movies lately? Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Because I didn't like both of them, and I have to figure out how to like them. And I'm finding those ways. I'm finding the nuggets. Just like when I watched Labyrinth and I watched those as little skits. There are bright points in those movies. And I have to look at where they shine and not focus on where they don't. And hope that we get more Mandalorian shows and that type of Star Wars storytelling. Because I think that that has value. Mm -hmm. And I think, to me, Book of Boba Fett was an excellent beginning but it didn't fit the format that they've been spoiling us with with the mandalorian there's not a lot of talk there's you know they're letting the story be told through the action and some of the action frankly wasn't very good <clears throat> i i found that some of the fights were a little bit eh. what did you think I'm with you 100% on that one. Of I was like, okay, I um, <laughs> I have started medication over the last mm. few months that helps me focus, um, for a variety of reasons, and this is important because I'm taking medication to help me focus, and I was still having difficulty focusing <laughs> on it. I was still like, it's over here, anyways. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm potentially here for it. I'm, I don't know. It's going to sound a little bit weird. I'm potentially not thrilled with like if it, are, are we just doing all right? We're gonna we're gonna do the thing. Uh, he's gonna be not like other crime bosses. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Why? So your concern is that we're just doing a show about Boba Fett because they can do a show about Boba Fett. And there's kind of like, much like the criticism that I have for Solo the movie. One hundred percent have to do it, but you did it. Is it bad? No, but does it need to be there? No. Well, and you could have done so many more interesting things. And they are. Like, to be fair, we've got Ahsoka in production. We've got Obi-Wan coming out this year. We've got Mandalorian Season 3 finishing production. We've got <clears throat> Andor. I don't know that Andor scratches an itch for me, but... I don't know who that one's for. That's a weird one. It is, but hey, I, I like it when Lucasfilm throw money at stuff. 
because usually there is some value in it, even if the value is don't do that again. Sure. Right. So, so for me, I, I see a lot of stuff that, okay, like let's, let's, I, I have to talk about Boba Fett in the context of how I grew up with Boba Fett. Boba okay. Fett was everything for a guy who talked so little. It was everything. And by that, I mean, <clears throat> he was marketed on everything in the 80s. Yes, he was. So as a kid, you couldn't escape the buzz around him. The fact that he didn't talk much mm-hmm. and had little screen time made him more of a mystery. Fair. The fact that he always had the mask on. Made him that mystery. He was always the the, the attractive bad guy character. Who could potentially be good. So, much like everyone else, you know, I was a little bit disappointed with Jangle Fett, but I also understood that we asked for that. We asked for that backstory. We, As much as we sit here and we talk about the fact that we want Star Wars to introduce new characters, to explore, and do all that, we all secretly do this oh cool i always wondered about that when they do go down that path and we do reward them with our money and our eyeballs so i get that there's a weird relationship with lucasfilm that way and this is in that in that area when pat oswald was on parks and recreation doing the filibuster and he's talking about you know in 2012 right after disney you know purchased lucasfilm and, you know, they announced their plans to to release the new movies. And he opens his whole, like, filibuster with, and the gloved hand of Boba Fett rises from the dead Sarlacc pit. And, you know, and this is the story. And I got to yeah. say, like, I was there. I was watching that show that week and yeah. going, oh, my God, wouldn't that be so incredible? Wouldn't that be the most awesome thing ever? Have you and seen the extended one? No, I, I, I have not. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So they had him go, and that's just Pat Oswalt improving. Mm-hmm. And they had him go for, oh, I think the full one is like ten minutes, and he just keeps going. And he's like, anyways, that's how we get Marvel in. So then you have Thanos fighting <laughs> Darth Vader, and he just keeps going until he creates like every Disney property is one universe now. <laughs> it's so funny. That is awesome. He is he is one of my favorites, uh, especially on Twitter. Um, yeah. Well, his latest stand up was rough, though. Like it's just like, anyways, yeah. Well, tangent, the guy's doing a lot right now. He's got the Modoc. He's got you know what I mean. Like, yeah. so we we should separately have an episode eventually about how stand up comedy is going through this evolution slash change. Mm-hmm. And there are a whole bunch of people who I argue are not doing stand up anymore, which I don't mean as like a slight to them. I mean it as I obsess over definitions. Right. And if you are not doing a series of jokes, it's not stand up comedy. Right. Um, and Nanette's a great example. I think that's a different, like, that is something new, and I love it, and I'm there for it, and I think it's great, but I don't know if it's stand up or not. Right. That makes sense. Um, 
but that we should have that later. Um, yeah, it's that. That's that's my point, though. Is there was an energy around it from my generation? Yeah, about Boba Fett, and yep. it's it's an unhealthy fascination with that character for how little. And then we got a little bit more, and then that door shut. You know, we got a little bit in Clone Wars. And then we got this fantastic Mandalorian storyline, yeah. In the in the Clone Wars and in in Rebels and everything like that, and everything started getting really cohesive and and comes together in the Mandalorian. And then you're just excited about the the issue right now is is that how badass Boba Fett was in the Mandalorian. What was it episode uh, the eighth episode? Water. Yeah, right. So. He kicked the crap out of those stormtroopers with that, with that, you know, the Bantha tooth cleaner. Like yep. he, he, he beat the shit out of them and they had the helmets breaking and they had, it was the most graphic and intense kind of fighting you could ever really imagine in Star Wars, right? Without having gobs of blood spurting yep. from people type thing. It was, it was the dirtiest type of combat. In this episode, I'm like, I don't know how he's that pacified now when that was a week ago in his life that he kicked the shit out of the stormtroopers or a month ago or whatever, right? Like, yeah, he's got the time has passed. He's got his back to tank. He's having his flashbacks. They they gave in right away on that. Here's how he got out of the Sarlacc. All right, and then the Jawas come and they strip him down of anything of value. They yeah. take his armor. Yeah. The thing that I got a little bit confused with was when he's got the helmet full of money and it drops, like, obviously he got set up by Jennifer Beale's character, right? Mm -hmm. Like, where they, she put the money in the helmet so he couldn't put the helmet on, leaving him further exposed for this fight. And then... The Jawas took the money, but didn't take the helmet. <laughs> well, I think that was the Jawas knowing, like, ah, he's going to come get it now, right? This yeah, is not... I, mean, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe they know this guy's tough shit, like, top shit now, and I'm not going to mess with it, but he's not, he never counted it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah there, well, there no, I a... think that was, that was, he doesn't care about the money. If he dies, we can come back for the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, that that is that is a fair point. But I, I saw some people talking about that on the internet, and I'm like, sure. okay, this is where we're going with our criticisms, because I was thinking a very similar thing. I just wanted to at least acknowledge it. But overall, I thought the episode for me, it was slow, but it was great because of all the memories that I've had around the character. It was exciting seeing him in Mandalorian for the couple episodes that he was in last yep. season particular for me i do fear that this will end up being the show that didn't need to be made but i also think that there's some things that they could do in this if they do like they've done in the comic books my hope mm -hmm. is that we're going to see characters like maybe kira come back yep. from solo and you know a more a deeper dive into the actual underworld and the gang situation in star wars mm -hmm. because that needs to be fleshed out 
in my opinion. They started to get the taste for it in Solo. And this is the vehicle for that. If they want to go there, if they just want to fan service it, I think everybody's going to watch it and then forget about it. But if you have it as something that could be mined or uh, uh, extracted upon as far as the Star Wars universe, Mm -hmm. I think that will justify this show in a longer form. And I just think that they're, they're right now they're just like, I hated Hawkeye episode one. And then I really came around on episode two where I was like, Oh yeah, I think possibly this is a situation. Hopefully where this Wednesday, we might be feeling very differently about the book of Boba Fett. Maybe as far as that criticism. So I'm hoping that we get a little more substance. I, I really, I, I'm not as into the, the, the sand people narrative. I mean, here's the thing I was thinking while I was watching it is I don't know if we actually need to know how he got there. Yeah. I don't really think that adds anything. Mm-hmm. But like, like, why don't we just leave that? Like, we don't need to, like, okay, he got out of the Sarlacc pit. We all knew he got out of the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, well, you, he you, lost you, the armor. How does yeah. it actually matter? And like you said earlier, that was the problem with Solo, is it's like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's how we got his last name. Hey. That was bad. Like, you know, versus... Even in Solo, I think there are other parts of Solo that actually add to the universe. So, for yeah. example, like, why he's a little bit cagey around Leia and why he's like that, like, explaining that he is actually, like, a hurt person adds mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, you know, to a, to a far lesser extent... The fact that the Millennium Falcon might have an AI, which might be different, mm-hmm. maybe adds something to why the ship is special. I don't know. That's less so. I, I hey, like, let, let's the couple things that I really enjoyed in this episode, the torture <laughs> droid being there. Yeah, I thought that that was hilarious because that droid's yeah. whole orientation is about torture. And I love that he's like. These are the Gamorrean gods. You could you could hear them squeal while you torture them. Like he's really leaning Boba Fett into fuck them up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And Boba Fett's I'm... like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to fuck shit up. No, thank you. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was just really funny, and I really enjoyed the mayor's ambassador. That dude. Oh, that was an amazing performance like unreal like that was wow i was just i've watched that a couple times now and i'm like uh, you know he makes sure that he's off the rancor pit gates before he lets him know like i don't think the mayor's gonna see this in a happy way (laughs) yeah oh there there was a lot of really great stuff i really like jennifer beals and the twi'leks and and that bar that they had you know what I mean? Like, and seeing Max Rebo back yeah. for the blue guy from the band. And, you know, yeah. they're doing the cantina theme again in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And there were so many little things that I liked about this episode that I, I think I get my, 
optimism for. Yeah. With where this will start just hitting home runs. But it it does struggle for me in the narrative of the Rhodesian, you know, like him being a complete asquat. I I just there was so much time spent about that stuff that I'm like, I okay. The 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 dirty egg things that everybody complained that were stinky water, they come from the ground. Yeah. The this the lizard centaur was very stop motion clash of the titans ask for me and i just thought that the face of it and everything was dumb but there's always a monster in star wars so i've given up trying to figure out gotta sell the new toy yeah why there's weird shit in star wars i'm like because george lucas always loved weird shit so i'm not going to complain about it but i did find it was a little bit of an oddity in the whole pantheon of what we know as Tatooine, right? Like as much as Lucasfilm tried to say, Oh, there's not much happens on Tatooine. Everything's happening on Tatooine. Yes. Like for the butthole planet, that's furthest away from that's light years from anything that's relevant. Tatooine seems to be a hotbed. Like Darth Vader was born here. Darth Vader grew up here. Uh, Luke Skywalker grew up here. You know, like Ray uh, retires here. Ray retires here. Like, it's Jabba the, the head of Jabba the Hutt, who's one of the most powerful huts. Yeah. It's got a huge salvage operation that apparently every goddamn thing happens through. <laughs> exactly. Like, Jakku is like the new Tatooine for, for that era, but, but man, oh man. I mean, at least that felt more justified of it was like that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, problems that exist with Jakku, at least it's like, oh yeah, no, the entire economy here is salvage yeah versus like moisture what farms. why are people on tatooine moisture farms come on okay no, no wait, <laughs> but moisture farms are to make water for people who live on tatooine why you don't like <laughs> yep i i hear you i i was looking at it going man oh man star wars loves it but that's that's life in Star Wars, right? I just, I, I don't, I just hope it's not going to be six more episodes of nothing against the Sand People, but I, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's nephew is the kid Sand person. God, I hate About. that. <laughs> Stop with nepotism. I'm just like, I don't want to be an expert. It sand people or Tuscan Raider lifestyles. Like it's great. All right. They went from a creepy, obscure race that they've cobbled together for screen time in the original Star Wars. Sure. To, you know, becoming somewhat relevant in the prequels in terms of, you know, they introduced the alligator dog and, and whatnot and and they died and he killed the childling sand people i get it like they 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 use them differently in that to evoke that and they've used them really well in the mandalorian in so far as they exposed that there was a culture there i don't want a deep exploration of it that's all because i don't i don't sit here and think that there's a whole bunch of kids going i wonder what happens when they take the bandages off 
I mean, here it, like it's not Boba Fett's helmet. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think they could still pull it off. I just don't know. Well, we're gonna if we're, a... if we're doing the back and forth, I don't know if we're gonna be able to do both. Yeah, well, that that's a thing. I see the potential in the newer stuff, like in the presence, in the present. I see with the crime lords and the bosses and the fights and the action and the the tempo, mm-hmm. the the rewinds and the the pixelization and the matrix esque kind of regression therapy that's happening in the back to tank. Sure, sure. I hope that we get less of that and more of the present. Like I, I do like that Boba Fett is vulnerable. I do like that he can be hurt. I do mm-hmm. like that. You know, there are parts to this, either making, they're putting together a really interesting character that's, that's potentially deep and flawed as well. And maybe this whole thing, but you know, like Fennec Shand is sitting there going, we need to rule by fear. And Boba Fett is sitting, sitting there saying, no, I want to rule with, with, you know, with compassion or reason type thing. I want to, I want to have a more reasonable relationship with the crime lords i want to to everybody should be prospering it's going to be a mixture of the two like there's going to be times where fennec shand is right and he's going to have to do that and you know you even saw that when he tells her i need i need him alive like get him alive and she chooses not to bring both in she chooses to kill one yeah and just take one and i'm like that's her mantra that's her outlook it's screw him. Well, he, he he didn't need both. Like, would he have been accepted both? Probably. Right? He would have been like, oh, I got two guys now. I can work them. Good cop, bad cop, whatever. Yeah. Fennec Shand's just like, nope, I'm going to kill one. You know, I don't want a headache. I got to bring yep. him in. Less is more. <laughs> no wrong. There's a lot of stuff that I like about this show in that. I'd like to do a deeper dive on it. I'd like to do a get back to what we we used to do but i also want to talk about stuff like in the future i think it would be fun to talk about even in the episodes that we saw what kind of marketing opportunities do we think disney are going to be exploiting with them what kind of lego sets are they going to make uh which characters are you most looking forward to and least looking forward to being brought to us in toy or other forms of maybe comic books or whatever, because I think that there's a lot of comedy in, in stuff like that. Like, like, man, oh, man, I can't wait for the Lego Sarlacc pit escape to come out. I mean, yeah, that's coming. I have a separate thought I want to get your input on. So, sure. no, you don't know. You don't know Star Trek like as well, right? I used to be a big okay, Star but, but, Trek person. So, so Star Trek has had for a really long, like Star Trek has a problem. And that is. They don't know what happens after TNG and Voyager and DS9, right? Like everything after that that we've made is chronologically before it. Oh, my. Right? Like we keep doing stuff earlier and to the point where like the TV show, like the the new movies had to reboot it all because they don't know what to do. Yeah. And I think that is the same problem we're facing with Star Wars, which is a combination of scared money which prevents you from from taking chances and starting to remix stuff with you know what what else 
you need to like evolve a story. Well, in defense of Disney, the what they've been shielding behind. I'm not saying I buy this, but I'm saying this is what we've been told as a fandom. Sure. Is that when they when they excommunicated all of the legacy stuff and called them legends. Yep. And I said, this is now the new canon. Yeah. The idea that they sold. Now, we know this is full bullcrap. But the idea they sold us was that there will be a think tank going forward that is able to say what you're allowed and what you're not allowed to do as far as canon goes. So the idea of that to me is there's somebody like Pablo Hidalgo or David Chang or somebody sitting there gatekeeping stuff to the point. Like we even heard it when we talked to Jim Zub about his writing experience yeah. with the Star Wars books that yep. somebody's like saying, you know, can this happen and making notes in the margins, right? Yeah. So we know that it's happening on some level, which is great but I don't think it's happening to the degree that we wanted to when we see such disparity between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker, right? Like, it, it just seemed like two directors battled each other there. Yep. And for, you know, the idea is, is that Star Wars is telling its writers, we're going to give you this prequel space in the High Republic era that you can go do that in. And we have a video game end of it that's playing into that with Eclipse. We have these these things are happening here. We see these books. We want Claudia Gray to go plug into the high, that that New Republic era and st start bringing her magic there. But the idea is that they're exploring the space between uh, uh, the end of the 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 good trilogy, or you know, and the space between the First Order type thing. Right. Sure. So after Return of the Jedi and First Order, they've actually done a remarkable amount in there. They've got a remarkable amount of space in there. But yes, you're right. The storytelling is getting crowded and they're, they're They seem to be scared about telling the story about what happens after Ray retires. But something that I always get that I get the issue is also that the story has to change. Right. You can't just tell the, the same story again. And that's right. But they, they, they tried to go there with Ryan or Rianne Johnson, right? Like that's what Robin's getting at. And the audience had a shit fit and now they're terrified. Yeah. And that, that's the unfortunate part, you know, like broom kid was the future, right? Like yep. in so many ways, Ray, not having a lineage was the move. Yeah. Because. It, it, and. Absolutely capitulate. Looking at why these wars going. keep happening. Yeah. Yeah. They, they capitulated with the Rise of Skywalker and they tried to undo all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And I'm worried about what that means. Yeah, I agree. Like, it, it is a concern. There's some great storytelling that is happening in that space. And I'm just hoping that they understand that shows like to me that, that could break the mold are the Book of Boba Fett. Because if they do start exploring the things that we were talking about that could make it great, that mm -hmm. means Disney gets more confidence in taking risk. I don't think they do. Why? Why, why I, would you get more confident? Why? Why would? Why is it not instead? You just 
you just keep getting to make money doing the same thing. Yeah. Although right? it, it actually has to be that these fail or at least these have a rougher time of it. Yeah. No, I, but that's what I mean. Like if Book of Boba Fett is successful and and storylines start propagating out of what the potential mm. of what's there, not necessarily directly related, but avenues to explore in other timelines about these gangs and about the underworld and about all of this stuff. You know, that's where George Lucas, his inclination was to go to the underworld. That's what the whole video game was called, right? Like that's what the pre-production show was about, was about yeah. the, the lower levels of Coruscant. God, that would have the, been such a good game. Yeah. Like the dark areas of what happens in Star Wars, the bowels of Star Wars. They've done it a little bit with some of the, some of the storylines out of, uh, uh, you know, the Ahsoka storyline in, in Clone Wars and whatnot. They started exploring mm -hmm. what's Ahsoka's relationship with the universe now that she's not a Jedi. Right. Yeah. And, and they do that a little bit, especially with, I rewatched last night the Mandalorian season two, episode five, the one, the uh, homage to Akira Kurosawa by Dave Filoni last night. Mm -hmm. And that great battle with Ahsoka and and the 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 fiefdom and you know what I mean? Like just all that stuff, yeah. setting the plate for Thrawn and everything. Yeah. I, I I like that idea, man. Like I'm just like shit, I, I really wish that Ahsoka gets here sooner than later because that's where I want to go. Like that's where I want I want to see stuff happen and I want them to take chances in it. Right. Yeah. Like, like these are all things that got born out of the cartoons and I never thought that I'd see them on live screen. And here they are happening because Disney's trusting Dave Filoni. Yeah. And that's what I mean is like, if you put it in the right people, yes, it, it could be beautiful. But if you do this shit show hop that they've done with their directors and the churn and the Kathleen Kennedy intervention and the, the corporate intervention, then that's a problem. Like Bob Iger, obviously not a perfect guy when it came to this. Mm -hmm. And he, and he, you know, was hands on or hands off. I don't know. We'll never know with Kathleen Kennedy and, in, in directing her. But I, this Bob Chapek guy scares me even more because I don't even think he tries to hide that. He speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. He's just like, he's, he's all like, well, what do the shareholders want? They like money and they don't want to disappoint people. So let's just keep on doing the same treading of water with our franchises. Yeah. I, that's my concern that I've been trying to, you know, talk about with this Bob JPEG change at Disney, because I, I do think that it's like, look at his inclination for handling the Scarlett Johansson thing. Yeah. He went out, he shit talked her. Yep. He told her she doesn't know what she's doing. He said she's just being greedy. He's done everything to the character assassinate her. Yep. And you know for a fact that what happened in the back of that was Bob Iger went in and said, Do you see why that doesn't work? And then he went and he finished it out of court, settled it, and now she's directing a Marvel movie? Yep. Like well, I, that's part that's a hundred percent part of the settlement. Yeah, well, it is, but 
how the hell did they sweet talk that after the kind of crap show that JPEG led? You know what I mean? I'm like, wow, this is an incredible thing. Like all of a sudden the marriage is back on. Like we're okay with everything now. Like that must have been a good book of money and a great deal with this movie. But it's just um, like good for Scarlet. But I'm just saying it just shows to how the bad judgment JPEG showed in that is just, yeah. Because I've heard nothing but horror stories about what he's doing to the actual structure of Disney on the inside because he's basically demoting all the creatives to being powerless over their creation and promoting all the bean counters to having the accountability for everything. And that's going to result in this scenario that you're talking about. But it's going to take three to four years before it actually starts happening. Like before it starts hitting the screen for us to sit there and go, what the hell is this? <laughs> yep. Well, I, I think the other side to remember is how much these are now turning into. Um, or what's the proper term? It's, it's I think the term's changing, but it used to be called a transmedia experience, which is very much of like, like you said, you have rules on what you can and can't do and change. Mm-hmm. And it can be done well, but I think that if you look at someone like J.J. Abrams or, or you know, even Zack Snyder, they don't play well in someone else's uh, uh, sandbox. And they want to be the big dog. And they want to be their show. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to make the next Marvel movie, you don't get to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just had the revelations come out of even Zhao, who just did the Eternals said that in like an early draft of the script they just destroyed earth they're like nah screw it earth just ends and i don't even you know you write stuff in early edits and stuff but i think that that attitude of like i don't know that's not my problem to fix is like okay that's kind of disrespectful to everyone else yeah and you know i I don't want to i mean you know could have been 100 percent pulled off right it could have been like oh well we are bringing in the multiverse this was a different universe and we could have done this whole thing and sure rock on that'd be great but i i I think (laughs) we're starting to see the differences of some people who are like they don't play well with others well they have to they have to do a better job at getting the people who or like identifying the people in the world that are what their capabilities are like yeah. It, it it sounds like an HR recruitment issue. Like to be I, honest, it, like it's so weird in creative industries though. Like separately. I, yeah, like and I, I get it, right? Like you might yeah. you might have somebody who seems really docile on that front. And then they get their teeth into it. And you know, we're we're talking about the magic of people's childhoods here, right? So like if you look back at the making of the Mandalorian season two that gallery exposition that they had. And you watch the bit with Robert Rodriguez and what he pitched to Dave Filoni and John Favreau, right? Like mm-hmm. he's sitting there getting his kids to put on his Boba Fett Halloween costume helmet yeah. and Stormtrooper costume helmet. And he's filming stuff with his action figures. Sure. About how he wants the fight sequence to go. And he, sheepishly is like like Dave Filoni sits there and he goes is that your action figure 
in this reel, like this previs. And he's like embarrassed, like, yeah, it is. That's so awesome. Right. But it shows the passion that some and it's not just Star Wars. It's any of Disney's IPs, MCU, any of this stuff can elicit in a creative type. Right. Like and now we're talking about a dedication thing. Right. Like and then, yeah, if it goes off the rails, if they're doing Lord and Miller solo. (laughs) Right. And they're Lord and Millering it up. Part of me goes you hired Lord and Miller. So you should know that shame on you. But I think that there's an equal chance of getting somebody in there that, that you think is going to be completely docile. I'm not saying that with Robert Rodriguez, but you unearth someone who's really passionate about something. (laughs) And then you're like, Oh shit. So that's maybe that's what's happening with Patty Jenkins. I don't know. (laughs) There's a lot, there's a lot of complexities to making movies. And you and I aren't even close to that industry, but I guess with yourself, especially, you have the inside line on the more creative process, right? Like being creative, being a creative guy and maybe talking to more of those people. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyhow, that's our little preamble discussion on the book of Boba Fett. We'll figure out how we're going to continue to digest this show and present it to you, our audience and get your ideas and thoughts and opinions about it. Um, you know, you can find us at www.iscanapodcast.com. You can track us down on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at it's Canon Podcast. You can email us at show at it's Canon and you can subscribe to the Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, every, anywhere you find the podcast. You can find the Canon Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we're going to do the same thing that we always tell you to do. Make sure to subscribe and uh, leave a rate and review on the platform if it's allowed. And yeah, thanks so much for taking your time to listen to us. Uh, Tyler, any parting words for our lovely listeners? Hey, I don't know. Be safe out there. It's a goddamn mess. It is. But, you know, we are here for your, you know, avoidance of society during these crazy times. Why not just settle back, listen in, and uh, take some time with the It's Canon podcast, the podcast show that talks about all things Star Wars, all things movies, all things MCU, all things geek, all things pop culture all things in our escapism world you know what the best part about it all is Tyler what's that it's all in camera good night